So welcome to the Visibility Queen show. I have my dear friend, Lindley, on today. And Lindley helps entrepreneurs, business owners, and experts impact the world through sales-driven copy, attention-getting email marketing, oh my God, we all need that, and life-changing digital courses. So I'm going to let Lindley take it away and chat a little bit about herself and tell us about her and what she loves about copy because I feel like I don't love anything about copy. So I want to know what you love about copy. Well, first of all, Chrissy, thank you for having me on. Um, I am Lindley. Uh, I live in Georgia, where I told Chrissy uh, a minute ago that it is raining and like 66 degrees, and I'm totally digging it because it has been in the 90s for the last three years, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> I am a copywriter, um, and while some of you might be going, oh my God, that sounds like the worst job ever, I do actually like it. Um, I, my background is actually in, uh, English. I have a degree in English and a, um, degree in, uh, English and German. So really useful doing a lot of German here lately, not so much <laughs> and a master's in professional communication. And I actually used to be an English teacher. I taught at the college level for about three years and I loved it. And I'll tell you why I loved it because I love grammar. Now I know that's weird. I'm totally fine with it being weird, but I, you, you want to give me something fun to do? Give me a sentence to diagram and I'll diagram the heck out of it. But, um, I actually, in my 15 years in corporate, I never actually had a writer title, but I was always writing. And I started out as an instructional designer and went into marketing and then went into it and kind of went all the way around to get to two years ago when I, quit my corporate job and I started my own business. And actually when I started, I wanted to do what Chrissy does. And I did it for about two months and realized I hated it. I left my nice, cushy, well-paying, secure corporate job to build a business doing something I hated. <laughs> it was not a good look. Nothing but, worse than that. <laughs> but the good thing is that I quickly found a another avenue. And one of our dear friends uh, in the click, Krista, asked me if I wanted to do some copywriting for her. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? I'll do it. And I, I won't say I fell in love, but I fell in like with it. And I started realizing that I could be a lot more creative and a lot more, have a lot more fun with it than I was doing with my, my um, uh, social media. So I started doing copy full-time in about, February of last year, I guess, um, and really haven't looked back. Um, I primarily, when, when I'm working with my clients, I do a lot of project-based stuff. So a lot of sales pages, a lot of funnel copy, um, uh, and that sort of thing. I love email marketing. Let's talk email marketing. I love it. And I love developing courses. My background is in, with uh, a background in education and in instructional design. I love kind of getting all of those thoughts that my experts have in their head and plopping them down on paper and moving them around and creating an awesome, amazing, wonderful value pack course. So that's kind of what I spend my time doing in the, at the end of May, my husband joined me in the business. He retired from the same company that I worked for for 15 years. And so now he handles all of our email marketing clients and uh, various other things that I sent his way. So we're super lucky that 
during this insane time in, uh, in the world, we've been able to both be home. We've been able to be home with our daughter. We're homeschooling her now. And, um, you know, it's just been, it's been a lot of fun. So I have to ask the question and you can tell me if I'm wrong on this because I preach this a lot and I'm pretty sure you probably do too. But before we can have great copy, before we can write a great sales page or a great email, like, isn't the first part of all that really knowing who we're marketing to? 100%. Yep. And it's funny because everybody talks about, you need to know your ideal customer avatar, your ICA, all this. And like, we all talk about it, but a lot of people I found with my clients, they talk about how you know, their ideal customer avatar is, you know, a woman in between the ages of 35 and 55 who's married and has kids. And, you know, maybe now as, you know, they're home full time with their kids full time trying to work a full time job. It's like, great. It's good that you know this. What else? Yeah. What else are they dealing with? Because I can tell you as a mom who fits in that category, there's a whole lot of stuff going on that if you want to write copy that appeals to me, I want to see that you get that. You know, all we want, like as humans, all we want is to be understood and seen and, and acknowledged, right? And if you don't truly know me, I'm not going to buy your stuff, most likely. So understanding your audience is absolutely essential because you can write some rock star copy. It can be awesome. But if you're not writing it for the right people, it's not going to convert. That's just what it comes down to. And a lot of times, I know a lot of entrepreneurs find it hard to really know who their ideal customer is because they have this, they get this picture in their head and they focus on that picture of this person who doesn't really exist, right? And you're like, oh, well, Sarah, my ideal customer, she likes these things and these things and these things. Well, yeah, that's all hypothetical, <laughs> you know? So one of the things that I do with some of my clients is I actually will talk to their customers. I will talk to the people that they work with, the people that, you know, that are current customers, that are potential customers. And let's say, what are you dealing with? Like, what is it like to be a mom between the ages of 20, I mean, of 35 and 55 who's stuck at home with their kids right now? You know, like, what are those words? What are the phrases that they're using? Because here's the thing. If you really want to catch the attention of your ideal customer and, and really have them understand that you get it, you know where they are and you feel them, <laughs> use their words, use their words back at them because they're going to go, oh my gosh, Chrissy totally gets it. She understands why I struggle with X, Y, and Z. I want to hear more about what Chrissy has to say. And then they're going to follow you and then they're going to keep engaging with you and then the next time they need some help with visibility or social media or whatever, you're going to be top of mind, right? And that's the whole purpose of really understanding your ICA is it's not this nebulous concept that, you know, we want to be able to post on our wall and be like, this is my ICA. And I found a stock photo of somebody that looks like she might be a Sarah. Yeah, that's great, but <laughs> you're, you're making it all up and you need to base it on data. And so truly understanding not just the demographics, not the where do they live and how much money do they make and you know all of that stuff, but truly understanding their wants and their needs and their frustrations and digging down into the deeper levels, like those levels that maybe they don't even realize 
that they're at, like the challenges that they're having. You know, I have, I use the example of, you know, maybe you have a mom or dad, I'm not accepting dads here, but if your ideal customer is a mom and she, you think she's struggling with um, uh, meal planning, right? To get food on the table every day. Amen to that. I struggle with it constantly. That's why my husband cooks, but <laughs> it's more than that. I will bet you it's more than that because it's not just about literally getting food on the table because I can throw a box of crackers and a block of cheese out there and there's food on the table. Even deeper than that is, am I failing as a mom? Because moms are supposed to do this. Moms are supposed to be able to feed their families. Am I creating a healthy environment for my child or children? Am I, you know, being a good example to them? And all of a sudden there's all this, this weight that just falls on you. And if you don't recognize that and communicate that to your ICA that you get that, you're going to have a harder time selling to them. So remember that your ICA just wants to be seen and heard and cared about. Like they want to know that you care about what they have going on. And if you do that, they're going to buy your stuff. I love that. I love that. I, I don't know who I heard it from. It could have been you or Krista or somebody, but like a lot of times we do market research and then we like paraphrase what everybody said instead of using those actual words. And that's where we miss the point because we're putting it in our words, right? Because we're paraphrasing instead of using the exact words and pains that they actually talk about. We're just like, oh, let's make it easy for me and let me paraphrase this whole thing. Right. Well, and of course, when we were in school, right, we were always taught you either quote somebody word for word or you have to paraphrase, right? And there's no in the middle. Copywriting is different than what we did in school. So if you're telling yourself, I was a terrible writer, I hated English class, I, you know, I got C's on all my essays, that does not mean that you're not a good copywriter. So go ahead and throw that excuse right on out the door because <laughs> you can be a good copywriter because copywriting is so very different than the kind of writing that we always did in school. So you are 100% correct that if we can literally use the phrases that our ideal customer is using in their heads, their mind's going to be blown and they're going to go, oh my gosh, Chrissy totally gets it. I want to know more. I want to take a step closer to her because she understands. Yes, absolutely. Don't, I mean, some of it you're going to have to paraphrase because it, you know, may not necessarily work within your copy. But the more you can use direct quotes and, and phrases and words, the better it's going to convert for your customer. Absolutely. Absolutely. So my next question is, I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit and head to email marketing, but I felt like we kind of had to talk about who are, you know, we got to know who we're talking to before yes. we can you know, nurture them and love on them and all that stuff. So I have a ton of clients and, and I'm sure there's a lot of people watching right now that they, they have this email list, right? And they get leads, whether it's through paid ads or organic means. And, and a lot of them have this list and they, they don't have email sequences set up They're They don't have a nurture sequence set up. And so I'd love to talk about that a little bit and the importance of that and how you can actually take this cold lead that got your opt-in or your lead magnet and you warm them up through the sequence to actually like, know, and trust you to possibly potentially purchase your product. Absolutely. And the way I look at it is because I get this question a lot and there seems to be confusion between, at least this is how I sort of separate them, between an email sequence and then a long-term email nurturing. 
So an email sequence has a beginning and an end and it has a purpose, right? Like its purpose is to do a thing, to convince you or your customer to take some sort of action, right? So it might be a launch sequence where you're encouraging them to invest in a program or you, a, a webinar invite sequence where you're encouraging them to register for a webinar. A sequence is always going to be very defined and it's always going to have a beginning and an end. We see a lot of sequences like just like your example, right? When you opt into something, freebie or a video series or whatever it is, you opt into it, you get the thing delivered to you. And then hopefully, as your uh, the business owner here has set up some sort of welcome or onboarding sequence, right? And usually kind of the sequence that I use usually is the delivery email. So it says, hey, here's your thing. And here's a little bit about me. In the second email, I usually bust some kind of myth or objection, tackle their objection to whatever it is I'm talking about. For example, I have a, a, um, an opt-in that is all about client testimonials and reviews, right? And what is the one thing that really stumps people about getting client testimonials? Well, they feel awkward and weird because it seems like they're fishing for compliments. So in that second email, I'm going to address that. Because if I can knock down that big objection, we're going to make some progress, right? And you're going to see that I can do this. I can ask for client reviews and I don't have to feel weird about it, right? In the third email, I usually give them some sort of additional value. If it can stay in like my marketing ecosystem, my world, by sharing a blog article or a video or a podcast or, or something like that, awesome. If I don't have that yet, share something from someone that I trust, right? Because what we're doing is, we're, this sounds kind of bad, we're, we're buttering them up, right? We're, we're loving on them. I like that better. Loving is better. Yes. We're loving on them. We're giving them value with really no expectation of return in this situation, right? We're saying, look, you already gave me your email address. That, that's a lot. Like you gave me a piece of valuable contact information. Thank you. Here's what I want to give you. Here's all the, the things, right? And then, so in the third email, I like to give some sort of value, um, whether it's like a, a, a freebie or something like that, or, um, you know, a link to a podcast or a video or something. In my fourth email, in my nurture sequence or my welcome sequence, I share customer testimonials, usually framed in some kind of story, right? And ideally, it's the story of someone who is very much like my ICA. Who is my ICA? Maybe that's Sarah, right? I don't know why Sarah is the name of my ICA, but it is. <laughs> and because at that point, I've given you some great value. You are coming to know me. And now you want to see, okay, like Lindley was able to get this kind of result for someone who's just like me. Wow. I bet she could help me too. And then in the fifth email is usually, again, because it's a sequence and it has you know, a, a point, it has a, a goal, it's usually to get them to take one step closer to you. That could be register for a webinar or um, join your Facebook group or, you know, maybe buy a, a low ticket product uh, like a tripwire or, you know, a, a, a mini course or something like that. So that is the, the welcome sequence that I tend to use. You can have more emails, you can have fewer emails, just depends on you. But it has a defined beginning and end. 
what confuses a lot of people that I talk to is what happens next. And next is where we start talking about long-term nurture. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do long-term nurture. Some people do newsletters. Um, I am on James, so James Clear wrote the book Atomic Habits, and he has a newsletter that comes out every Thursday. And I know this, which means he is very, very consistent about when his email goes out. And his email is, it's three, it's called three, two, one. And so he says like, here are three things that I've, I've been researching this week or I've learned this week, two quotes and one thought that I want you to kind of take away. It's the same structure every week. Do you think that's that hard to put together every week? Nah. You think he probably has a VA that puts that together every week for him and he never even reads it? Probably. So it doesn't have to be something particularly onerous to you. It can be real structured and just you plug in information every week. Some people, if you're like Chrissy, uh, and you have a, a podcast that goes out, right? If you have a podcast that goes out, say every week, send your list an email every week and saying, hey, my podcast is out. This is what we're talking about. That's email nurture. You're giving them value. You're staying top of mind, which is really what email nurture is about. Because they may not be ready right this second to take advantage of your services or your products. But what if they're ready next week or next month or six months from now? You don't want them going, wasn't there some lady that used to send, what was that? She had some kind of, I don't remember, I'll just go Google, right? We don't want them to do that. We want them to go, bam, I'm going to call Lindley. She's the one I want to work with because I have been nurturing this relationship and building that new like and trust. The purpose of email nurture is in the name. It is to nurture the relationship. You're not asking for a purchase every single time, although it's perfectly fine to ask for a purchase every once in a while, right? But you're, you're sharing value with them. If you can do it every week, awesome. If you can do it every other week, hey, if you're consistent, you're golden, right? That's the big thing. I am not always consistent. I'm, I should be, but I'm not, right? But the big thing is to show up and to, hot, to, to be in their inbox and say, hey, how you doing? Here is some, here's a thought I had, here's something I wanted to share with you, right? Because here's the thing about email nurturing and email in general, email marketing, that is different than social media marketing. First of all, 85% of American adults have email. That is not nearly the adoption rate that social media has, right? So yeah. you know, that a lot more of your ICA has email. Now, obviously you got to work to get them an email box, but you also know that your email is getting at least delivered to that person's email, right? Like in, into their inbox, one of their inboxes, <laughs> however many they have, right? So the likelihood that they're going to read it is a lot higher than the likelihood that, them, that they're going to read a post that you put on your Facebook page, right? And at the very least, you know it at least got to them. We don't know how much reach our Facebook pages are going to get, but it ain't much. You know, we, we've seen that drop off in the last year or so. So email is really one of the primary ways that we own our traffic, own our customer list. And, you know, like when Facebook brought, bought Instagram, 
do you think Facebook bought Instagram because Facebook didn't know how to do the functionality that Instagram does? No, had nothing to do with that. What do they buy Instagram for? The customer list. Yes. Those however many billion people they have on Instagram. The value of your company is in your customer list. So if you're not building a list yet, now's a great time to start. If you are building a list and you're struggling with how to nurture that list, just start, just send them an email. Y'all, I have this like, I have this limiting belief that my emails have to be thoughtful and insightful and full of just mind bending insight. My emails are not like that, but occasionally I do share something that makes somebody go, Oh my gosh, you're so right. That is such good advice. Or I have had that same experience. Sometimes my emails say, did you know how to embed an animated GIF in an email? Because dang, if it took me like a month to figure it out and I couldn't find it on Google. So I made a blog article about it. Here you go. Right. It's, yeah. I learned a thing. I want to share this with you because it drove me crazy and maybe it's bothering you too. Right. It doesn't have to be brand new information. It can be something you've learned this week, something that you want to share with them that you heard that you're like, that's really, that's really helpful. It can be literally a quote and that's it. Stacy Martino has a daily email list that goes out or a daily email that goes out to a, a segment of her list. And it's literally a quote. That's it. Just a quote, usually about relationships. Cause that's kind of her thing, you know, but she's got this thing programmed, I'm sure, you know, so they, they never even have to touch it. It just keeps going, right? But what you put out there doesn't necessarily have to be like a ne your next TED talk, right? It just needs to be something that your ideal customer, your people on your list, your community is going to get value out of, hopefully. Maybe they already know how to embed a GIF and they're like, everybody knows that, Lindley. Fine. That's fine. I don't care. Somebody is going to get value out of it. And that's what matters. So if you are kind of on the fence about email marketing, dive in seriously, just get in there and start doing it. If you have a list and you're like, I haven't touched this list in so long, think about doing a re-engagement sequence. I did a re-engagement sequence with a client. He had a list of about, gosh, at the time it was probably around maybe 4,000 people on his list. This was in like May and he had been very sporadic in how he was emailing them. He was very, sometimes he would email only the people who were, who were um, engaging with his emails, which meant that he was emailing a whole lot fewer people. And we did an engagement campaign that was literally like a reintroduction of him, like a, a recap of sort of what he does, an invitation to unsubscribe. And then uh, I think a pitch for, his like low ticket program, right? His like membership or whatever. His open rate on those previous emails was around 10 or 11%. In general, the standard for his industry is about 20.2%. The open rate for those re-engagement emails that we sent to five times as many people was 40 something percent overall. Wow. That's huge. What does that tell you? That tells you that people wanted to hear from him. When, when his email popped up in their box, they were like, ooh, what does he have to say? 
and they opened it and they, some of them unsubscribed. Good. If you're not interested, don't stay on my list. You know, thanks, but no thanks. I wish you Godspeed, right? But a re-engagement campaign gives you a chance to get back into their inbox, remind them what it is you do, offer them the opportunity to opt out. Because again, we don't want people hanging out with us who don't want to be with us, right? It's kind of like, you know, the, the, the guy you dated in high school who, you know, is afraid to break up with you and doesn't want to hurt your feelings. And you're kind of like, <laughs> oh, no, oh, just me. Um, so, you know, do that re-engagement campaign. Some people will do a re-engagement campaign and say, if you want to stay on my list, click here. It'll tag them in the email software and the rest of that list after, you know, day 10 or whatever goes bye-bye, right? And they're not bothering you anymore. You're off the list. I'm going to communicate with the people who want to hear, with, hear from me. So it really does become a matter of stop overthinking what you're going to tell them. Stop, stop fearing that people don't want to hear from you. Because if they don't want to hear from you, they're going to unsubscribe. Okay. Now, are they going to report you as spam? It happens. Don't worry about it. Okay. If they really, really want you to communicate with them, they're going to read your emails. They're going to look for your emails. They're going to whitelist your emails. And those are the people who, when they're ready, are going to take that step next, that step closer to you. Right. So that's why email nurturing is so important. And I'm, you know, I'm preaching to myself because I do struggle with it. I have to admit. But what you get out of it is so much more than what you put into it. And if you can get consistent doing it every other week or every week, you will see a massive difference. This client that, we, that started with 40 or 4,500 emails, something like that on his list, has almost has 79,000 something emails four months later, just because we emailed them, just because we kept that communication going and we, we gave them value. We, we engaged them, you know, and we doubled his email list, right? So stop getting in your head about it and just go do it. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be a silly little gif. Just get in their inbox. I love that. I love that. I know like sometimes late at night, if I'm just like feeling like I just want to love on somebody, I'll just send an email to my list and tell them how amazing they are. And I get so many responses from that, from just loving on people. It's a one line thing. Like you, I want you to know you are an amazing queen and you can do anything you put your mind to. Like I've sent that. I love you. Respond back to me. Tell me, tell me what you're thinking about today, what you're struggling with today. People just want to sometimes I feel like be heard. Yes. Um, and the other thing I even tell people, number one, Facebook, Instagram, any platform is never ours. So you cannot count on it. If you plan on having a launch, let's say you have launch and Facebook goes down for two days, what are you going to do? You're screwed, right? Yep. If you have a list, you can at least be nurturing and working on them and letting them know about your offer. But the other thing is, yes, we want people to read our emails. Don't get me wrong. But if you show up in somebody's inbox every single week, even if they delete it, as long as they don't subscribe, that's visibility. You reminded them you're still around. Yep. 100%. And what you bring up is such a good point because really our email list is the only traffic we own. We are, you don't want to build your house or your business on borrowed land. And that is what Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and TikTok and everything else. It's borrowed land. You don't have control over what happens on those platforms. You do have control 
over what happens to your email list. And that's where we want to be, right? We don't want to be at somebody else's mercy. We don't want to be at the mercy of the American government or, you know, Mark Zuckerberg as to whether or not we're going to be, be able to communicate with our people, right? Your email list is your ticket. It is your constant, reliable uh, source of, of traffic and revenue for your business. Absolutely. Yeah. So quick question. When you're, let's say you're typing out an email to your list that week, what is the most important thing on the email? Is it the subject line? Is it the contents inside of the, um, the email? What do you think is the priority there? Because they obviously want their audience to read it and they're sending this out. They want their open rates to be great. So what would sure. you tell somebody who had that question? So in general, the only thing that you have when your email lands on somebody's inbox is the subject line. That's it. That's all you got. You got 40 characters to make them go, I wonder what this is about. Now, if you've been emailing them consistently, and there are a couple of people that I, whose email list I'm on, but it doesn't matter if I'm looking for something from them or not, like I'm going to read their email, right? You're one of them. Like I always read Chrissy's emails because I enjoy Chrissy's emails, right? So your name is really probably the most powerful, right? They see an email from you. They're like, let's check out what Chrissy has to say. Second only to your subject line. And that's it. That you've got 40 characters to grab their attention and make them want to know more. And the problem is so many people, and I've done this myself. I'm not like judging here. So many people spend so much time on the content of their email and they make it look beautiful and it's witty and funny and engaging. And then they dash off some subject line and send it. Well, if your subject line stinks, nobody's going to see that awesome email that you just sent. So spend more time on your subject line. I will tell you this too, and I'm actually trying to finish a case study on this. My client that we were just talking about, he is very, very particular about, about his emails landing in the inbox, in the primary inbox and not the promotions folder. Now, technically, the promotions folder is for exactly the kind of emails that he is sending, but he really wants them to get into the inbox. So we test and test and test. We have four different email accounts that Gmail accounts that we send his emails to. And it's not until they hit the inbox and all four of them that we send them out. It can be very tedious. I'll give it to you. But literally it can be the matter of a single word to whether or not it goes to inbox or promotions. And the likelihood that something's going to get read in the inbox is so much greater than it is if it's going to get read in promotions. So your subject line is sort of your, your main line of, I guess not defense, I guess your main line of offense, right? <laughs> like it is your opportunity to get in front of somebody, get noticed and get them to, to double click on your, on your email and read it. So doing things to stand out for what, for example, if you go look in your email inbox, I'm going to pull mine up because I don't know if I have any right now, but if you look in your email inbox and you have somebody who sends you an email that has a, an emoji in the subject line, you're going to notice. Yep. Yeah, you sure are. Why? Because most of the other emails 
don't have them, right? It's gonna stand out just because it has an emoji. Or maybe if it's, you know, it's got a word, the first word is like in all caps or something, like reminder. You're gonna pay attention. It's a pattern interrupt is what they call it. And that pattern interrupt is literally worth its weight in gold because it can get your email literally to stand out in front of your, your person and out of, and in front of all of the other emails in their inboxes, right? So the more time you spend on an email subject line or any kind of headline, whether it's for a sales page or an email or for a presentation for a webinar, right? The more time you spend on your headline, the higher your conversion is going to be, no matter what your conversion actually is. Um, I have heard, and I believe this is true, um, that if you are a writer and you want to work for BuzzFeed, any article that you submit has to have at least 25 different headlines before the, uh, the editors will even accept it. Because here's the thing, you go through that first headline, you're like, yeah, it's pretty good. And then you write a few more and then you hit like number five and you're like, oh, you know what? Kind of like that. And then you write some more and you hit about number 15. And you're like, okay, these are getting somewhere. And then you hit number 22 and you're like, bam, that's awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that one. If you had stopped at number two, you never would have gotten there. Right. And the magic happens after about headline 15. Now I will be the first to admit, I don't do that with every single email because I have a business and a life to run, <laughs> but particularly for things like um, that you're putting money behind, like, like for ads, spend some time on your ad headlines. And I don't mean just the thing you put in the headline box. I also mean the first line of your ad, because what's the first thing that they actually see in their newsfeed? It's not the headline. It's the first line of your ad. So spend time there. Otherwise, if you don't catch their attention there, they're never gonna see the rest of your amazing copy, right? Spend time on your sales page headlines because really that's what's going to hook their attention and determine if they're gonna, if they're gonna scroll down or not, right? Yeah, absolutely. The more time you can spend on the things that really, really, really matter, the better result you're going to have. So now do you need to every week, do you need to, you know, go through 800 different versions of your email subject line? <laughs> Probably not. But the more, the more emails you send, if you look back at your emails and look and, and track your metrics and look at what people are opening and especially what people are clicking through, both of those, if they open and they click through, you're doing something right. So what is it about that email? that subject line, that content that people liked. And if you start seeing a pattern, you know what is really resonating with your audience, right? One of the things that we did with the, with um, our e this email client that we've been talking about is I was tracking what calls to action we had in each of his emails. And I started noticing that when we sent them to a, a um, YouTube video, the click-through rate was much higher than if we sent them to a link to his blog. Interesting. And, I don't know why they wanted video content. So what did we start doing? Pushing video content because that's what they're telling us they want. And they're telling us that by their clicks, your customer communicates by their clicks. And so you've got to make sure that you're giving them what they want and you're enticing them into clicking, right? It's all about the click. 
That was like a golden statement right there. <laughs> say that what again. Say? Your customers. Something about the clicks. Oh my gosh. We're recording. We'll go back. <laughs> <laughs> but you, but yeah, your customer communicates to you by their clicks. Yes, the clicks. that is yes. huge. <laughs> yeah, write that down. That is a Lindley. That's a Lindley quote. It's a Lindleyism. I'm quoting. I don't know. Probably, you know, uh, it, it's probably a paraphrase from something else, but I'll claim it until somebody tells me otherwise. There you go. There you go. So um, we have a few minutes left because I don't want to keep you too long. Um, I know the answer. I think I know the answer to this question, but I want to ask it because I all the time working with clients and doing their ads and seeing their sales pages. And I'm sure people have the same question about emails. It's on that subject. People ask long form copy or short term copy for my ads, long term, long, like long form copy or short term for my sales page. Same thing with with emails. Is it should it, should we write a book on an email or should it be short and to the point? What should people do if they have that question? Well, the answer is obvious. I mean, isn't it? It, it depends. <laughs> it always depends. Here's the way I look at it though. Well, first of all, test, 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 because what works for your customers, not necessarily what's going to work for my customer. So test the heck out of everything and don't assume because the second you assume something you are, well, you know what they say about assume you're making an ass out of you and me right? Yeah. So yeah. we don't want any of that. And so if you think that your ideal customer is going to like short form sales copy, try it, run a split test, do long form and see what converts better in an email. You can split test in an email, like an active campaign. You can do a split test, see what converts better. Everybody's going to be a little different. And a lot of times it depends on what you're asking of them. So if you are selling, say a, let's say a 497 course off a sales page, that's a lot of money for most people. You really need to convince me and answer all of my questions and knock down all of my false beliefs and all my objections to get me to click that purchase button. And because you're doing it on a sales page, your sales copy is all you have. It's different if you're like on a webinar or something, right? Because it's a lot easier, well, depending on how good we are at, at, at sales presentations, it can be a lot easier to persuade somebody in the moment when they're with you. But when you're kind of in an asynchronous situation, it's harder, right? So in general, the, the more you're asking of them, the longer the sales page or the longer the ad copy that is not across the board always the way it is but for something like an opt-in you don't need a 1500 word opt-in page you need a headline and a little blurb with maybe some bullets and a you know in a and a form and that's it right don't overwhelm them with copy same thing even with with a webinar think about it with a webinar so with a webinar i'm not asking you for money yet but I'm asking you for your time. And so the more you can demonstrate to them that you are going to make it worth their time, the more likely they are to show up and you don't have an opportunity to do that. And you know, the only opportunity you have to do that is on your sales page. So do it on your sales page, tell them what they're going to learn, tell them what they're going to walk away with, tell them why they should listen to you, especially if it's, you know, cold traffic. 
but the, there's not a hard and fast rule. Some clients, some clients, ideal customers, they want short to the point. A lot of e-com ad copy that we write, just, just give them the stuff. They don't want frills. They don't want stories. They don't want all that junk. They just want to know what they're getting and how much it costs and bam, I'm going to buy it. So it really does vary, but don't assume anything. Test, look at your results, rely on the data to tell you really what your customers want. What are they communicating by, your click, by their clicks? And that will tell you what is appropriate for your customers and your products and services. Yes. I love that so much. I love that so much. So I want you to tell my audience where they can connect with you at. And then I think you also have a, um, the free download for, unless you have something else, the testimonials, but I think like everybody needs that because none of us have enough testimonials and none of us ask because we're all too afraid. So tell my audience where they can connect with you at and how they can grab that download. Well, you can always find me on the Facebook. Um, my personal profile is just Lindley Hips. I'm the only one, so I'm easy to find. Um, I'm also at Lindley Hips on Instagram. I will admit, I am not nearly as good at Instagram as Chrissy is. So just te- temper your expectations <laughs> of me on, on Instagram. But I am there, and you can contact me there. Um, and then you can always go to my website at lindleyhips.com. Um, I will drop my freebie in, um, uh, in the, on the page, in the group, wherever Chrissy tells me to. Um, and it is about how you can, like, not just how to ask, but how to seek out client testimonials and reviews that will be the most valuable for you. Because, you know, it's not just about somebody saying how awesome you are. Like, that's nice. But sometimes you really want a specific client to recognize or, you know, put in their testimonial a specific result or event or experience that they've had with you. So this checklist will actually walk you through the 10 things that you need to do to make sure that when you ask your client for testimonial, they're actually going to give you something that's helpful and useful, and you're going to make it as easy as possible on them to give you what you want. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Lindley. Um, So she's going to drop that link. You guys can find her on social and she may think that her Instagram isn't that great, but I bet her copy is, is like the bomb. So whatever. (laughs) I also share pictures of my adorable cat, Oliver. So that's right. Oh yeah. I also have a child and a dog, but really it's the cat who gets all the cute pictures. So if you like cute cats, hit me up. All right. Well, if you guys need help with copy, make sure you connect um, or email marketing or course creation or whatever it is, connect with Lindley because she has so much support that she can help you with. And I know she's worked with some amazing names in the business and she can support your business as well. So thank you again, Lindley. And everybody have a great day and let us know if you have any questions in the comments. Thanks, Chrissy. Bye. Bye. Chrissy, did you hear the news? What? Queen Con's going global. Shut the front door. Yes. Oh my God. I am so excited. I kind of already knew that, but (laughs) she kind of made the decision with me. (laughs) (laughs) But we are so excited because we are going worldwide, just like Pitbull. And this ain't your mama's Zoom call. No, it is going to be a state of the art 
like high tech production. Like it's not going to be zoom. It's not going to be Facebook live. It is going to be so interactive and so much fun. And we're going to make you feel like you are such a part of it and that you're there. Yes. The first 300 ticket buyers get a gift in the mail before we start from us. So make sure you, if you haven't already grab your ticket at Queen Con Columbus, we have over 25 amazing speakers from across the world. Oh my gosh. To all help you grow your business. You're not going to want to miss. You're going to find some value in every single speaker that comes on that stage. Exactly. And you get lifetime access to all the recordings. Yes. Our private community with all of the guests. You can network still, and it's going to be so good. Yes. So if we haven't convinced you yet, what is holding you back? We want to hang out with you, even if it's virtual, because now is the time to lock arms and grow your business with other badass female entrepreneurs. Yes, we cannot wait to see you there because we will see you in this state-of-the-art platform and queenconcolumbus.com. We'll see you soon. Bye.